It's very good to be here this morning. I appreciate Andrew's prayer on my behalf, and it's my prayer too as well, that the things that I've studied and put together this morning would be beneficial to us, and that we all might grow closer to God, and we might be better Christians. I've titled my lesson, Lessons from Jonah. And I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever been in the belly of a fish? Have you ever had a problem? Have you ever had an issue? Have you ever had turmoil or strife or found yourself in a dark and lonely and helpless place? Have you ever felt alone, felt separated from everyone and God? What did you do? What could you do? What should you do? Jonah 2, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. And out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of the sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me around about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, the earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. We read there, the waters compassed about me, even into my soul. You know, why do we have to wait until we have the weeds wrapped around our head? And we're drowning before we look to God. You know, a better question is, is why do we have to have the weeds wrapped around us and be drowning and be in the dark place before we submit to God? You know, all too often we get compassed, we get tied up in struggles. We let them overwhelm us and we get, let them consume us. And here's the truth about struggles in our lives. They're very real. They're very dark sometimes. And they can be very lonely. It can feel a lot like drowning in, in a fish. Struggle, strife, turmoil, 
whatever you want to call it, however you want to describe it, they're all the opposite of peace and contentment. I've used this phrase before, and I'm going to use it again. I think it's very fitting in this lesson. But the world is very aggressive, is very loud, and it is very confusing. There's a lot of noise out there in the world today. And it's because of Satan. He uses it to distract us. He uses it to demoralize us, to beat us down, and to weaken us to separate us from God, to separate us from Christ. This noise, this distraction, will rob us of our peace, of our contentment, of our joy, if we allow it. When we let it consume us, we allow it to take our joy away from us. We allow it to take our peace away from us. I'd like for you to remember this morning as you leave here that we control a lot of the noise that we hear. And we have the ability to shut that out by not focusing on it, by ignoring it, and sometimes by turning it off. So I'd, I would encourage you to remember that this morning, that you're in control of a certain portion of that noise that comes in, of that distraction that you have in your life. And that portion that you do have control over, turn it off. Get away from it. Philippians 4 and verse 6 reads, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, thank on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Don't focus on the negative. Look to God's blessings. Look to those things that are honest, those things that are just, those things that are pure and lovely. They're all around us. Look for those things and block out that noise. Block out that distraction. God's blessings are always there for his children. In the good times and in, in the not so good times. Remember, God's blessings are eternal and they're true. And no matter what's happening in this world, God is still in control. He's still eternal, and he is still in control. So again, I encourage you to make an effort to look for those blessings and focus on those blessings and take comfort in those blessings.
As I said before, part of that noise, I think we have some control over. We can block things out. We can remove ourselves from situations. We can turn things off. But there is a part of that noise of life that is routine life. We wake up, we go to work, we go to school, we come home, the day is done. It's not hard to fill up a day with something to do. And if we're not careful, we'll fill up that day and not make any time for God and his blessings. Don't let the routine of life become a distraction. We all have things we need to do. We need to work. We need to spend time with our kids. We need to go to things. But don't let that routine become a distraction. Job 14 in verse 1 reads, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Life's short and it's ever moving. And life just happens. One minute you're young and healthy. And the next minute you're facing struggles. They may be physical struggles. They may be financial struggles. They may be mental struggles. They may be family struggles. But life's full of struggles. And it gets in the way. And it burdens us down. Heartache, sickness, and death. They all weigh heavy on us. Everybody's touched by these things. Romans 5 and verse 12 reads, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for, for that all have sinned. Because of one man, because of Adam, sin entered, entered into this world. Because of that, death came with it. We all suffer the consequences of sin now. In the garden, it was perfect. There was no pain. There was no heartache. There was no suffering. But that's not the world we live in now. Unfortunately, the world we live in has heartache and pain and suffering. And we have to deal with it. We have to cope. We have to make arrangements in our life to choose not to be burdened down by those things. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 reads, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. There's a separation. In the garden... Man enjoyed a relationship with God. God spoke directly to Adam, and Adam spoke directly to God. But because of that separation, because of sin, that's no longer the situation we live under. That leads to isolation. One of Satan's best tools is isolation. We've all learned in the last year 
that Satan doesn't even have to give, get you alone to weaken you, to isolate you. Just feeling alone can cause mental anguish. It could cause us to weaken and to drift away. And it weakens us spiritually, and it can weaken us physically as well. So this morning, this has been a very long introduction, but this morning I use this introduction for us to look at the book of Jonah and make some observations about it. I think we can look at these things that I've prepared this morning and apply it to our lives. Hopefully, we'll be more aware of the noise and the distraction in our life and we can be proactive with it in our lives. We can make better choices. We can look to draw closer to God. So I'm going to give you a brief summary of Jonah before we get started here. Jonah is four chapters long. I would encourage you to read it. It's a very quick read. I think it's a really good story. It's referenced in the New Testament several times. Jonah was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II. As far as I know, Jonah is the only prophet in the Old Testament that God told to preach to a Gentile city. It wasn't a Jewish city. It wasn't a, these weren't the children of God. These were the enemy of God. The people of Nineveh were the Assyrians. They dealt God's people misery. Time after time, they attacked them. They drew them away to their gods. It, they were trouble for God and God's people. In chapter 1 of Jonah, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. That's Jonah 1 and verse 1. Jonah 1 and verse 2, Jonah immediately flees. He goes the opposite direction of Nineveh. And he gets on a ship. He's running. So God sends a great storm once that ship's out in the sea. And it, it causes havoc on that ship. The sailors are scared. They do what they can to try to save the ship. They throw everything overboard. Jonah's sleeping down in the bottom of the ship. And they wake him up and they say, we're about to die, and you're down here sleeping. And Jonah tells them that this storm is caused by him because he's running away from God, and they need to throw him overboard, and the storm will cease. And they won't listen to him. They get out their oars, and they try to row to shore, and they try to fight against the storm, and it's to no avail. And finally, they come back to Jonah, and Jonah says, throw me overboard, and the storm will cease. And they do. They throw him overboard, and the storm quits, and it calms down. And the Bible says God prepared a great fish, and it swallowed Jonah there in the sea. Jonah 2, we've already read here at the beginning. And Jonah 2 is Jonah's prayer to God inside that fish for deliverance. 
You know, when I was young and I thought about this story and I thought about Jonah in the belly of the fish, you know, I, I pictured him sitting there Indian style, just kind of waiting it out, you know, just kind of being so-so. Now, when I think about Jonah's experience, I can't get past the smell. I don't know what it was like, but I know it was awful. It was horrible. And he was cramped. There was no room. He wasn't sitting there Indian style, just waiting it out. He didn't know he was going to come out in three days. It was dark. It was awful. And the Bible says he was vomited up. He wasn't placed on the shore. He was vomited out of the fish. We read about the weeds being around his head and about it being wet, and he thought he was drowning. He was unpleasant. You know, this is a lot like sin. You know, with a casual glance, it appears to be good. It appears to be just right there. There it is. But in reality, when we're entangled in sin in our lives, it's rather unpleasant. It's often dark and lonely and crammed it stinks it's unpleasant to think about Jonah the third chapter begins right after Jonah is vomited out of the fish he's on dry ground there he's a couple of days away from Nineveh God tells him again Go to Nineveh and tell them in 40 days I'm going to destroy this city and for them to repent. And Jonah goes and he gets in the city and he begins to preach and he gets the king of the city, hears of Jonah. And from the king down to the lowest, they believe that God is there to destroy their city and they repent. They make a change. And God saves that city. He doesn't destroy it. In Jonah 4, Jonah travels out to the edge of the city. He wants to see what God's going to do. Is God going to destroy it or is he going to save it? And God tells him he's going to save the city. And Jonah's not happy about that. He's a Jew. These people have been cruel to his people for years. And he's not happy that God's going to sacrifice or going to spare these people. Jonah wants justice. He asked for mercy in the belly of the well, belly of the fish, I'm sorry. But he wanted justice for Nineveh. So, as I said before, that's a very short, brief summary 
of those four chapters. I would encourage you to read them for yourself. The first lesson I would like to take from this is that ignoring, hiding, or avoiding our sin is not a solution for our sin. Hebrews 12 and verse 11 reads, No, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, no one is particularly fond of being corrected. I'm not. But correction is needed when we have something amiss in our life. When we're not lined up with God, we need that correction. We need that straightening out. And we need it to save our soul. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 26, reads, For if we sin willingly after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for the judgment and firing indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be through thought worthy, who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that he hath said, Vengeth belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If we sin willingly, willfully, after we know the truth, we're, we're separated. And there remaineth no more a sacrifice for our sins. This reading ends with, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's where you are. You've left mercy and you've gone back to judgment. You've left mercy and gone back to justice, what you deserve. We as Christians should know not to sin. It's to our own detriment. 1 Timothy 5 and 24, some men's sins are open beforehand going before judgment and some men that they follow after. Sin manipulates us. If you try to manage your sin, try to maintain it, you're only being controlled by it. You know, and this is different than having a sin problem that you know about, that you're working on, that you struggle with, and that you take a step back, and then you, you immediately go back and you're working on it, and you're, you're trying not to keep it around. But if you keep it around because you can handle it or whatever lie you tell yourself, it's controlling you. 
You cannot manage sin. You cannot control a sin in your life and dabble with it and play with it and not be burned by it. It's a lie. Sin in your life will control you. Sin has all the power. It makes the rules, especially while you're trying to hide your sin. If you're trying to hide your sin from your spouse, from your family, from your congregation, it is in control of you. It's making the decisions, not you. First John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We desperately want to keep our sins hidden. They're embarrassing. They're ugly. So we can manage them. So we can be in the driver's seat. So we can maintain whatever we want to maintain. That's what Satan wants you to do. That's what he wants you to believe. But the Bible does not teach us to hide your sins. It teaches you to confess your sins. When you confess your sins, you get right with God. But when you confess your sins, you make a change. You become accountable. But Satan wants you to hide them. He wants you to think you can control them. And he wants to keep you separate. Proverbs 28 and verse 13, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Proverbs 12 and verse 25, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Heaviness in the heart. Sickness, heartache, sin. They all weigh us down. They make us stoop. They break us down. Mentally and physically, they wear at you. But God offers us direction. He offers us a better way. He can take that burden away from you. He can lighten your load. 1 Peter 5 and 6, Humble yourselves therefore unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We humble ourselves. That's how you deal with sin. You realize that you're not in control of it. It's in control of you. That's a humbling statement. We don't want to tell anybody, admit to anybody our sins, but we don't want to admit to anybody we can't handle something. We don't want to admit to ourselves something is driving us that we don't control. A humble attitude is the beginning of how you deal with sin. You think Jonah was proud when he was in that belly of the fish? 
He was humbled. And he acknowledged he had a problem. I pray this morning that we acknowledge when we have a problem. And I hope we don't have to be in the belly of a fish before we realize we have a problem. That we're not surrounded by just a train wreck before we realize this is a problem. And if that's the state you're in this morning, that you're in a train wreck and it's just awful and horrible, make the change now. There's not a better time than now to begin better in your life. But don't wait until it's a mess. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Make a way to escape. God has promised not to tempt you, that you won't be tempted above that you are able, and that there will be a way of escape. When we acknowledge that we have problems, we can look for that way of escape. If we're still lying to ourselves that we don't have a problem, we're not looking. You're not looking for an escape if you don't think you have a problem. You ever thought about it that way? You're not going to find that way of escape if you're not looking for it. We have to be proactive. We have to be purposeful. You have to want to make a change. Proverbs 3 and verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. If you trust in the Lord, if you look to him for guidance, he will give you direction. He will show you the way, and he will show you a way to a better place. Better than this world, better than the riches, better than the beauty, to an eternal place, one that will never go away. The second thought or lesson I'd like to look at from Jonah is, is that rebellion or sin will only create separation and struggle, ultimately death, in your life. James 1 and, three, James 1 and verse 13 reads, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin causes a separation from God. We have struggles in our life, some of them because of sin. And sin definitely makes our lives more complicated. It affects the world all around us. It affects our spouse. It affects our, chil 
it affects our children, our families, our church. It's not just a problem in your life. It affects everybody around you. When Jonah was on that ship fleeing, he was down in the bottom sleeping. He was hiding from his God and from his problems. And he was telling himself, I can run away and everything will be fine and it'll be okay. And those men on that ship who are awake were in the storm with Jonah. That storm was caused by Jonah and those men on that ship were in the storm facing it without Jonah. He caused them to be in danger. And we can do the same thing today by ignoring our sins, by living in rebellion. We can cause people around us to be in that storm while we're hiding. James 1 and 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, for which the Lord promised unto them that love him. Here's the other side of that. When Jonah repented and went into that city and preached God and told them they were going to be destroyed and followed God's will and was doing what he was supposed to do, God saved an entire city. He was going to destroy it. And when Jonah followed God's will, people were saved. Preaching God, following God's will, living a godly life affects those people around you the same way. It benefits them. It builds them up. It's an ark of safety. The Bible gives us many examples of godly men who, because of sin, turned away from the God. They did it their way for a minute, for a while. And we see that struggle, pain, heartache, destruction, even death followed these men. Judas betrayed Jesus, and shortly thereafter, he hung himself. David committed adultery. He murdered a man. His family was wrecked forever. Generations were affected by his one sin. Peter... Poor old Peter, he told Jesus, I'm going to go with you to the end. Nothing's going to separate me from you. And hours later, I mean, not even days, hours later, he denies Christ. How did he go from being so strong to so weak in hours? He was separate. He was away.
Judas didn't get the chance to fix his problems. Nathan pointed out David's sin. It was hidden for a while from a few, but Nathan made it to where the whole world knew David's sins. And David sought forgiveness, and he got it. But his family was still changed forever. Peter, he fixed his problem, went on to be an apostle, wrote part of the Bible for us. You can fix your life. It can get straight, and you can move on but there's still a path behind you of destruction. And we don't need to look back to that path once we've made that journey forward, but it's still there. And that's why we need to make better choices. We need to be focused on God and not be separated. Matthew 6 and 33 reads, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The world wants you to seek pleasure first. It wants you to seek your own self-happiness. Whatever makes you happy, that's what you need to do. And the world is full of strife and turmoil and pain and heartache. But yet, that's where everybody wants to go. You know, that noise of life, that day-to-day struggle, that confusion, that's the world there. And if we listen to the world and we get caught up into that, we get to thinking that that's all we have. And if we think that this world's all we have, you know, it's sad. But if we realize that we have something better than this world, we have something to look forward to. All that noise, all that distraction will become less and less important to you. James 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. Be happy when the struggles are around you. Now, that's easy to say. Stand up here and count it a blessing when you have troubles. If you get in a habit of being happy, if you get in a habit of looking at your blessings, It will be easier. It doesn't make the tough times not hard. They're hard. But it'll be easier. True happiness is found in God. When when we follow God, when we look to Him, when we focus on God, we create stability. It's not the lack of problems but it's the knowledge of hope of something better to come. One of the best tools a Christian has in his toolbox is to be thankful. 
to count your blessings. It'll help you with perspective. It'll help your attitude. It'll help you look around and see that things really aren't actually that bad. And there's somebody else out there that has it worse than you. And you can help that person and brighten their day. And that person can get on track and they can brighten somebody else's day. We have many, many blessings to be grateful for. I would encourage you to look for those and to hold on to those and to be thankful for them. The third point I'd like to get out of Jonah is, is repentance must include a change of heart and action. Let's look at Jonah. Chapter 1, he fled. He disobeyed God. Chapter 2, he acknowledged his sin, and he repented in his prayer. Jonah 3, he went into Nineveh like God commanded him. Looking good. Jonah 4, he was upset. He went and did what God commanded him, but he was angry when those people in Nineveh repented. He did what God wanted him to do, but he didn't change his attitude. He didn't change his heart. He went through the motions. In the Old Testament, God's people had the law. It was 614 or so rules or laws for them to live by. And all too often... God's people got to where they were just following through the motions. And their heart was not in that law. Their trust was in the outward appearance of the actions they were doing, that people could see that they were doing the things they were supposed to do. But their heart wasn't there. That's how they went from serving God to serving idols. How they went from prospering to being slaves. They weren't following God with their heart. Hebrews 8 and 6, but now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. We as Christians have a better covenant. We live under a different set of rules than Jonah lived under. We have a better one. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. When you change your attitude, when you change your mind, when you look to serve God, because you want to, because you want to serve Him, because you want to be faithful. True repentance is a change of heart. Jonah went through the motions and did what was right. 
but he struggled because he wasn't all in. He held on to hate, and he held on to the world. Jonah wanted justice for those people. We as Christians need to want mercy. I don't want justice. I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. The fourth and final point I'd like to make this morning is, is God's people, God needs his people to preach his message to the lost. I didn't get this slide in here, so I'm going to have to read out of here. I'm going to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and whereby I stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And after that he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom greater part remains unto this present, but son of fallen asleep. And after that he was seen of James, and then of the apostles, and last of all, he was seen to me also as one of the born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. And not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he rose from the dead, and some say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead, but there is, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching not in vain? And your faith is also vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ from whom he raised not. If so be that you, that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But he doesn't end right there. If in this life we have hope in Christ, we are all. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man cometh death, by man cometh also resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ. At his coming. What's God's message? Jesus came. He paid that sacrifice for sin that we cannot. And he died on that cross. 
but he rose again. Because he rose again, he sits on the right hand of God, and he's there to make intercession for us. Romans 15 and verse 4 reads, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. God's message is hope. Hope of a better reward. Hope of a resurrection. Hope of somewhere besides this world. Ephesians 1 and 17 that the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. God hadn't left us alone. We have, we have this to give us hope. What's our hope in? Verse 20 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead. We have hope because Jesus overcame death. We can too if we're his. Romans 8 and verse 22, For we know that the, world, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for what man seeth. Why do ye yet hope for? But we hope for that which we see not, then, we, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us when groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Moreover, when he did predestinate them he called, and whom he called, them he also justified. And when he justified them, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him unto us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword? Verse 24 there says we're saved by hope. It's not something we can see. It's something we have to believe. Verse 34, it says, Christ died, rather, and is risen again, and he makes intercession for us. Christ is there for us. He makes the separation right. 
Romans 8 and 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall all that struggle in life separate you? Will it let you be drug away? Will it cause you to walk away from God? That's all that can do it. Man can't take God away from you unless you let him. Satan can't take you away from God unless you let him. You're in control. Only sin can separate us from God. You know, in chapter 4, we saw Jonah upset because God had mercy on the city. Jonah quit worrying about his own sin, and he wanted justice. He forgot about his own hope and his own salvation. It's not for us to decide who is worthy. It's not for us to decide who needs it. It's for us to be messengers, for us to be servants, and for us to spread God's word. So, in conclusion here, hope we see that we cannot run away from God. We cannot hide our sins from God. Sin will only cause struggle and strife and heartache and pain in our lives. We must repent. We must make a change. And our hope is eternal. We have something better than this world that will pass away. Romans 13 and verse 1 Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. I want you to remember this morning that God is still in control. It doesn't matter who the world has put in control of the world. God is in control. God is ruler of all. Be subject to him. Philippians 3 and verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's not for us to make our own path. It's for us to follow after Christ. Follow after him. Move towards him. Draw nigh to him. Look to him for guidance and forget about your past. Forget about where you were. Move forward. I think Romans 12 and verse 2 here sums up my thoughts of this chapter here very well. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These are the thoughts I've prepared for you this morning. I pray they've been beneficial to you, and I pray that we've been Strengthen maybe that we can draw closer to Christ. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. 
If the noise of this world has got you beat down, has got you struggled, if sin has entangled you, we're going to offer an invitation for you. If you would, come forward as we sing the song that's been selected.